Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Welcome to everyone watching online. Welcome to those watching on Spectrum Cable as well. We're glad that all of you are with us. Uh, Today, we're over in Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 today. Now, this section we're going to be looking at in the original Hebrew was actually one section. There were just three chapters, uh, but in the Latin Vulgate, they changed it over and made four chapters. But we're going to be looking just in chapter 3 today, uh, and then we'll deal with chapter 4 and end up next week. uh, Our series called Cry Babies. And uh, so uh, we've seen over the last few weeks Malachi challenging the people, the people whining and complaining every time that he does, and then God showing them how what he is saying is true. We're going to see that pattern continue today. So let's look over to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. I don't know if you ever heard of Greene County in Georgia, but Greene County is outside of Atlanta. It's a very poor county. Uh, The school system, Greene County High School, was a failing school. Although 80% of the students graduated, only 32% of those students even had basic proficiencies at any level. Only 7% of their graduates were proficient in math. Uh, So the school uh, was definitely hurting. 98% of the students were under the poverty level. 89% of the students were minorities, and people had just written the school off totally. And that's when a man by the name of Tom Kelly moved into the county. Tom Kelly was retired. He bought a farm out in the county. He'd made a lot of money in the medical field, and he was very disturbed by what was going on in the school system. And so he made a deal with the superintendent, and he met with all the first graders 12 years ago. Every first grader in the county, there was only like 58 of them or something. And when he met with them, he told them, I'm going to make a deal with you, and here's the deal. If you stay in school for 12 years, and if you graduate at a proficient level, I will make sure I will pay every penny for you to go to college. And so that was the deal that he made with those students. Now, those students got very excited about it, but he kept it in front of them. As a matter of fact, over the next 12 years, he took that class on 80 field trips in 12 years. That's seven field trips a year. During the summer, he paid for them to go to space camp uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. And when it came time this year for those people to graduate, they called them the Georgia Dreamers. 100% of that class graduated, and 85% are going to college uh, after all that happened. Just unbelievable uh, what took place. Now, it's easy to see when you look at it from the student's perspective what they were getting out of it. If we hold in there, if we, if we do this, we'll not only graduate high school, we're going to get four years of college paid for. And so they had an incentive. But the question is, what was Tom Kelly getting out of this? That's not quite as easy to see. What was he gaining from all of this? Uh, You know, because at the end of it, when the last child walked through that graduation line, he was in tears. So what had this man gained from spending all of the money? Well, today we're going to talk about the fact that sometimes we wonder, what are we getting out of this thing that we call God? What are we getting out of religion? And how are we better than anybody else 
because we're doing it in the first place. So that's what we're going to see over Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 13. If you want to turn over to that. And the first, time we, first thing we see is this. Sometimes we feel as if serving God is just useless. Sometimes we feel like serving God is useless. What am I getting out of it? I, I do all this stuff. What am I getting out of serving God? Look down at Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. And yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out all of his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So our scripture begins here with that same familiar rhythm we've seen throughout the book of Malachi. Malachi tells the people, God says you're doing something wrong. You're living in a way that isn't pleasing to, the God, to God. The people then respond by saying, we're not doing that. And they whine and they complain. And then God shows them how they're doing it. And that's exactly what we see in these short verses. So Malachi starts out with what God has against the people. He says, you've spoken arrogantly against me. And that Hebrew word that's being used here is the exact same word that's used for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So he's basically saying to them, look, you're, you're stubborn, you're hard-headed, and you won't listen to me. That's basically what he's saying here there. And yet the people say, how are we stubborn and hard-headed and not listening to you? You spoke arrogantly against me. How have we done it, the people say. So God, you're hard-headed, you're stubborn. No, we're not. We're not hard-headed. We're not stubborn. And so that's kind of the rhythm that we see going on here. And then God shows them how they're hard-headed and they're stubborn. And it's really interesting. The people are saying, what do we gain by carrying out all of your requirements? What do we gain by going around like mourners before the Lord Almighty? So the people say, what are we getting out of all this? All this God stuff. All this, man, we're sacrificing for you, God. You don't understand. We got up at 10 o'clock in the morning to be at church at 11. You don't understand the sacrifices that we're going through for you. You know, this is really hard stuff here. You know, we're tithing. We're, go, we're doing Bible studies. Uh, we're fasting. What are we getting out of all of this? And so the people are whining and complaining. They've got the question, what are we getting out of it? Basically, throughout the book of Malachi, the people feel like they're victims. They're professional victims. Whenever Malachi says anything, they're going to whine and complain and cry and say it's not them. And it's very hard for God to make inroads in somebody's life when they won't admit that they've done something wrong. And yet that's how we are all the time. Instead of admitting that we've done something wrong, there's always somebody else we want to blame. It's not our fault, it's, it's our parents' fault, or the boss's fault, or the teacher's fault, or, or, or our spouse's fault, or, or our kids are, are crazy, or whatever. But we've got every reason in the world why we don't do what we were supposed to do, and then we whine and complain. We're professional victims, is what it comes down to. And it's interesting, uh, I was talking to my sister the other night, she's a retired school system, uh, from the school system, retired teacher, and she said when she first started teaching, if a child got in trouble and you called the parents, the parents almost universally said the same thing. They would say, what did they do? And the premise behind what did they do is, that kid's going to be in trouble when they get home. And she said by the time she retired, if she had to call a parent because a child was misbehaving, what the parents would say is, what did you do to them? My angel could never do anything wrong. 
they're perfect you know uh, I, I take care of them I make sure they never do anything wrong I wait on them I give them no responsibility I cover every problem they've ever had and then I'm just confused why they grow up to be little monsters it just it's just totally confusing uh, to me how that may have happened so we're professional victims professional whiners that's how they are in Malachi's day and they're complaining oh God you know we look around and we wonder what's the good in serving you and that's going to be the question we're going to answer as we look through the rest of this scripture is what good does it do to serve God in the first place well they go on and they say some more things in, the, in these verses we've just looked at not only do they say what good does it do let's look at verse 15 in verse 15 they say now we call the arrogant blessed certainly evildoers prosper and even when they put God to the test they get away with it now, I may not sound it right here, but the people are getting a little bit salty with God right here because they've gone from saying, you know, it's a bad world and bad things happen and we don't understand why bad things happen. They've gone from that to saying, okay, not just bad things happen, I think it's better to be evil. I think it would be better to take care of yourself, to not think about anybody else, to just try to get ahead, to just be an evil person. Now, last week, what God said to the people is, look, put me to the test. Put me to the test and see if it's not true. And so they take what Malachi told them and they say, hey, we put you to the test. And what we found in that test is that you failed and that evil people prosper and it's just better to be evil. So, you know, that, that's pretty direct, salty talk uh, back to God right here. And so it's the question we still ask today where is God why are all these bad things happening why do evil people prosper why are we doing what we're doing maybe it's just better to be evil maybe it's just better to do what you want to do to to be selfish that seems to be how you get ahead in life and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it this past uh, week in eastern Kentucky with all of the flooding we saw two different reactions from people that were there and the flooding was just devastating here's a picture of Jackson Kentucky uh, just totally underwater uh, the entire town uh, as you see there and there were two reactions to this the first reaction is there's no hope everything's falling apart everything's bad uh, I don't know how anything is ever going to come from this and so zombies are coming you know, uh, that, that's a sign out. He's going to go, everything's falling apart. Next thing you know, the zombies are showing up. So that's one attitude. But the other attitude is, I'm going through the same pain and trouble and hurt that you are, but God is still there. God so loved the world. And so those two reactions that have come together uh, in one place, and that's exactly what we're seeing in Malachi. These two different reactions. One group saying, what good does it do to serve God? The other group saying, I still have faith. I still trust God. And that brings us to the next thing that we see in our scripture passage. We gain strength in our faith when we serve God together. We gain strength in our faith when we serve God together. Look down to verse 16. We're told now, those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Now, it's interesting that in the midst of all the whining and complaining, there was still a remnant who were faithful and trusted God. There was still a remnant that even though they were going through the exact same things and had the same problems, were looking at everything just a little bit differently. They were looking at it with hope. 
Now, is this just some kind of fake optimism uh, that they have, that they've come together and, and they're hoping God shows up and they're hoping against hope or whatever? Or is this optimism actually based on something? Well, look at what verse 16 says. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Now, that's really important. So what did they do? The faithful people got together and gained encouragement from one another. They talked with one another. They talked about their problems. They gained strength. They remembered times when the Lord had worked in the past. They believed he would work again. And through being together with one another and praying and talking, these people gained strength and encouragement from one another. That's why a church family is so important when you've got problems and troubles in your life because the church family is supposed to be there to help you and pick you up and encourage you and help you through it. And then you are supposed to be doing the exact same thing for them. That's why during COVID when we weren't able to meet at all and we were just meeting online, the hardest thing I found out as I began to talk to people was not being together. I mean, you could do a worship service online. As a matter of fact, if we didn't do a worship service online, you could turn on your TV and 24 hours a day find somebody that, that uh, uh, you know, probably uh, preaches, you know, almost as good as I do or something like, you know, uh, on TV, but for sure makes a whole lot more money than I do uh, if, if you turn that on. But, you know, so that's not what you were missing. What we were missing was being together as a family and sharing that together. And if you remember, one of the first things we did to get back together was that we began to hold services at the drive-in theater at Oldham County. And I thought, I don't know if anybody's going to show up to this. The first time, almost 200 people came to the drive-in theater, and they were driving through. Nobody, you know, we were in total lockdown. Nobody had seen anybody. People were driving through. They're blowing horns. They're getting out of the cars and waving at each other, you know, from a safe distance, you know, because everybody was still panicked and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, instead of amening, everybody would blow their horns and flash their lights and there was a feeling of community of being together of encouraging one another and that's what they did here they got together they listened to one another they encouraged one another and then after that they did something really interesting they got out some paper and they all wrote their names down on the paper in the presence of the lord and they honored his name Amen. now what was the point of that this scroll of remembrance. We're the people that are going to trust God even in the midst of this, and I'm going to write my name down for all of history to see that I'm one of the people that said I'm going to trust God when everything in the world seems to be falling apart. So these people gained encouragement and hope. This scroll of remembrance was made uh, and then given to the Lord. When God's people come together, they are encouraged and gain strength from one another as david was saying earlier uh with the collection that we did here that's a perfect example of what i'm talking about uh, i think everybody after seeing what happened on the news in eastern kentucky uh wanted to do something to help but then the question is what do you do to help you know i, I don't know what what to do and so when sam i guess i saw i didn't see it sam to like 10 o'clock sunday night uh, I was going through my, my Facebook post and, and uh, trying to see how many people would like something I'd put on Facebook, you know, so I would feel better about myself and it would raise my self-esteem and everything. And uh, as I was doing that, uh, I saw I had, had a message from Sam Ward, and I was expecting the message to say, 
great sermon today, Chip. And so uh, I clicked on it to build up my self-esteem more, and Sam said, hey, uh, I'm collecting some stuff to go to uh, a Hazard if you know of anybody that wants to, to help. And so I thought, well, let's just put that out to the church. So I just did a, a Facebook, Instagram post on that. I put it on the church's Facebook page as well. Uh, the next day on Monday, we actually uh, did an email blast from the church, and we said, you got to have it in on Wednesday. This is Monday afternoon. In the next day and a half, this church gave nearly an entire truck of supplies. Got some pictures uh, of the loading of the truck uh, right here. Not only that, uh, as David said, uh, someone in our church, Cindy Collier, owns a trucking company. She uh, supplied a truck and a driver uh, to go down to Hazard. And people that weren't able to come in and weren't able to give, we raised almost $12,000 that week as well to go to disaster relief and folks this was all in a day and a half with nothing planned and nobody in a church service to even hear about it but when God's people come together amazing things begin to happen we gain strength and faith from one another and that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage when people come back to God everything changes when people come back to God everything changes so God tells the people you're stubborn you're hard-headed you won't listen the people say, how are we stubborn and hard-headed? God shows them. And then some people, a remnant, listen, come together, encourage one another, and sign a book of remembrance. Verse 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. So in verse 17, God starts out here, and it's really interesting. He says, on the day when I act. Now, what's he talking about here? He's telling the people, look, you're stubborn, you're hard-headed, you refuse to repent, and one day my judgment is going to come. But on that day when my judgment comes, on that day when I act, there will be a difference between those who refuse to repent and those who do repent. And those who do repent will be my treasured possession. Now, this is a really unique turn of phrase here. It's actually used six different times in the Bible where God calls his people his treasured possession. You know, I'm sure sometimes you're sitting at home and you don't exactly feel like a treasured possession, but that's how God sees you. God looks at you and thinks, of everything that I have, you are treasured. You are what I, I hold the dearest. You are my treasured possession. That's how God feels about you. My wedding ring is, is kind of a treasured possession that I have. This is uh, my dad's wedding ring. Uh, and uh, when my dad passed away, uh, I took this wedding ring. Uh, I began to wear it when Andrew got married. I gave him my wedding ring uh, one day when... When uh, I give up uh, this ghost here inside of me, whatever, uh, what's going to happen is Andrew's going to take this ring, he's going to give my ring to his uh, child, and we'll just keep that going on. That's a treasured possession. Uh, in the same way, uh, God says you are his treasured possession. And he says that he will look on you like a father who has a very special son that he loves. And then in verse 18, it says, And in that day, you're going to see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, 
those who serve God and those who don't. Sometimes in this world, it's hard to see the distinction. Sometimes in this world, we get confused and we think, man, evil people are really getting ahead in this world. Might as well just be evil and stop trying to do good. But God says, man, you're just looking at a limited picture. You're looking at a snapshot, and I'm seeing the whole landscape. And the landscape looks a lot different than the little snapshot that you have. So what happens to people that live wickedly? Well, most people that live wickedly don't have a lot of friends. They're fairly selfish. And uh, even though they gain a lot of the world's wealth, uh, you know, they, they don't have that inner peace and joy that other people have. But even if they go through all of life and nothing bad ever happens to them and they die multi-billionaires with every toy in the world, they still stand before God in judgment one day. And what about God's people? You may never get all of the joys of this world. You may never have a billion dollars in your bank account, but you'll have love and peace and joy and strength and friends and encouragement and a God that tells you when you have problems, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to walk through it with you, and even if your problems kill you, I'm going to raise you from the dead to be with me in heaven forever, a place with no more hurt and no more problems and no more troubles. There's a distinction between the good and the bad, whether we see it ourselves, between those who repent and those who refuse to repent. Again, in eastern Kentucky, we've seen this same scenario played out, and the two different sides have kind of stepped in, and it's easy to see the difference. You don't have to wait till Judgment Day. You can see the distinction and the difference now. Here's the thing that was on the news recently. Multiple counties put curfews in place to prevent looting. And so one of the things that happened right after the flood is people said, man, we've lost everything, things are bad, I need to get mine. So they just go out and start robbing people any way that they can, looting people that have lost everything, taking what they have left. Now you can look at that and say, okay, that's somebody saying, I'm going to take care of myself. But then you had a different reaction of people going through the exact same things. This next picture that you see here is from First Baptist Whitesburg. First Baptist Whitesburg uh, had a, 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 the, their building was flooded. They, a lot of their, everything in the building was destroyed. This is all the stuff from inside First Baptist Whitesburg. One side of the church, they brought everything out, and they're trying to save it and hope it dries because they've suffered this great loss. The other side of the church has this. There is a sign that says laundry ministry. If you go to that side of the church, then what you find is this. There's also a feeding station uh, that they have set up there that served over 7,000 people already. And so you have a church that says, okay, look, we've lost everything too. We're in the same situation that you are, but we're still going to feed people and launder your clothes, and we're going to do everything that we can to help because in the midst of trouble and pain, instead of getting what's ours, we want to love and care for one another. And then take a look uh, at this next picture right here. 42 jobs completed by the Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief, 23 still open, 11 people that have been saved in the 42 jobs that were done. How does that happen? Because people see the distinction. People look out there and they say, no, there really is a difference between those who serve God and those who don't. What do I get out of serving God? It's a whole lot more than you may ever think. Let's have a prayer.
Father, it's easy to look at the problems of the world and wonder what we're getting out of this. Help us to see that we get so much more, that it rains on the just and the unjust. We're going to have problems whether we're faithful or not faithful. It's the, the strength and the resources and the joy and the help that we give that makes the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting that one of the things that Jesus gave us to remind us that in problems and troubles that we're one family is the Lord's Supper. So if you'll take out your, your Lord's Supper elements at this time. And by the way, these are upgraded. No longer do you have the styrofoam, so that is a good thing indeed. So sometimes we feel like, okay, the world's hit me, everything's falling apart. What am I getting out of this God thing? And we forget what God's already done for us. And one of the things that he did for us more than anything else is that he went to the cross to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins when we didn't deserve it. And on that cross that night, we're told two things happened. First, he told we took that one loaf of bread, and he broke the bread, and he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples. And when he gave it to him, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And it reminds us that we're all one family, that we're not different people, that we're one family here together. And when we stand together and work together and serve together, it makes a difference in the world and in our problems. This is the body of Christ that was broken for you. We're told that in that same way that night he took the cup, the one cup. He passed it among his disciples and he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which was shed for you. You know, sometimes we look at our own lives and we think, God can never love me. I've messed up. I've done it wrong over and over again. I don't deserve any of this. And maybe all of that's true. But all God knows is that you're his special child. He created you. He loves you. He forgives you. And this is an example of God's forgiveness so that nothing stands between you and God ever again because the blood of Jesus wiped away your sins. This is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving your son. We wonder what we're getting out of it when you're the one that truly gave everything so that we could have heaven. Help us to understand and appreciate what you've done for us. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.